Welcome to the Teacher Transition Podcast, where we celebrate the amazing things former teachers are now doing outside of the classroom. And where teachers who are considering making a move of their own can find the resources, guidance, and support that they need to take their next steps. I'm your host, Allie Parrish, and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back for this week's episode of the Teacher Transition Podcast. This is a really special episode. We are flipping the mic. Deanna, our podcast manager, who's also a former teacher, is going to be interviewing me. I'm super excited about it and some of the questions that you guys have submitted and frequently asked questions that we get a lot. Also, to start off with shout outs, I loved hearing this week from one of our course members. I'm going to leave her name anonymous because of some of the things she's considering. She has finished the instructional design course. She's in her instructional design role at an education company um, doing amazing things. And there are some cool opportunities on the horizon that she's seen that she's also considering. You guys, I love that I get to talk with you about things like this and this just personalized support that we have in the membership. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. Also, a big shout out to another one of our instructional design course grads who also, I mean, a handful of months ago, he had never even heard of instructional design. Now he is in his instructional design corporate job and he just had some great questions. We were able to get him the personalized help that he needs and get him connected to some other personal experts as well, just inside of our network. So you guys are doing a great job. Great, great, great job with so many things. So keep it up and let's jump into today's episode. So Deanna, we have some questions that people have submitted, some questions that are frequently asked. We've organized them in different sections of kind of when I was in the classroom and quitting and making that choice. And then my work life after that the variety of roles that I have done, roles that I currently do, how teachers can land those kinds of jobs as well. And then we have questions about teacher transition and about kind of how I got started with that, things that I see frequently in it or uh, yeah, and kind of where we're going from here. Does that sound like a good summary of our of our three sections? Absolutely. But first of all, I have to just stop and say congratulations because this is episode number 50. Hello. I'm excited <laughs> about that. What a year. Yeah. Like episode every single week for yes. a year. And it was like almost exactly a year ago. It was August 2nd. I looked it up and you had a baby, I think a week later. <laughs> Yep, I did, which was kind of nuts. And then we launched the Find Your Next Dream Job course. Like, was it while I was in the hospital? After I was in, the, it was something like it that. was nuts. But I was like, look, this course has to get born before my child does, or this is not going to get out there and help people. And one of the big things I've seen is sometimes the thing that holds me back, or a lot of teachers back is like perfectionism of like, Oh, something's not good enough. Or, Oh, I want it to be perfect in every single way. And it's like, we're not serving anyone. If we're holding back whatever totally. service we're able to offer. So yeah, yeah. Well, what it's Whoa. been a very exciting year. So thanks. Oops. And it wouldn't have been possible without you. I mean, well. things would have happened somehow, <laughs> but it, we've been able to serve people better so much better 
because you've been a part of it. So thanks for being the magic. Well, it's been super, super fun. Love, love my work too. So let's dive in. So just starting about when you taught and when you decided to quit, how did you know when it was time to quit teaching instead of diving into another year? Great question. So I first kind of had like a prompting or a thought that was like, is this a voice I'm hearing? Or is this a thought that I'm having? It kind of feels like the same thing. And I, I didn't act on that immediately. I think it's important to act on those things really quickly to be like prompted promptings as I say it, but Um, but I didn't because I didn't know what to do or how to make it happen. And so eventually, you know, I worked for two years after that. I'm not proud of that necessarily, but I got to a place where it was so clear that I needed, it wasn't just a want to do something else. It was, it was a legitimate need. And so, yeah. How did I decide to quit? How did I know? Like that was the time instead of teaching another year. It was just really evident through how I was feeling, um, what I was thinking. And I could see it was, it was definitely like a need, psychological, emotional. I wasn't my best self. I wasn't my happy self. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily because of teaching. It was because of lack of growth. And that is an important need. You know, it statistically, it relates with depression. People are twice as likely to be depressed if they don't feel like they're growing at work, mm-hmm. if they're not enjoying work, mm-hmm. it is an incredible, like a critical aspect of, of personal well-being. And the research yeah. shows it as clear as can be. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, uh, I totally identify with that. And I think there are so many reasons that can contribute to that mental health piece. Yeah, it's true. Have you ever regretted quitting teaching? Never. Not even once, not even for a split second. If anything, I regret not quitting sooner, not kind of mm-hmm. acting on that call to go yeah. beyond the classroom sooner than I did. So, yeah. If you could go back and do it again, would you do anything differently? Um, I would either. Yeah. I mean, if I could go back and do it again, part of me definitely feels like I would quit two years earlier. And then another part of me is like, well, at the same time, by continuing in teaching and getting to such a bad place, I knew so clearly that it was like with complete confidence and without any question, I knew that it was right and needful for me to quit. But some of the advice that I would absolutely give teachers is you don't have to wait until you get to a bad place mm-hmm. or a terrible place to yeah. be preparing a transition path and really just preparing for your future. It's always a good time. To prepare. Yeah. I think the difference probably though, for you was that you were doing it alone, you know, whereas what you've created here is, is a community and a path. And I think you can you can streamline that. And when you know what your next step is, but I totally understand why you probably hesitated because that's a big jump, especially when you think your calling is, is teaching. So I think that a lot of people will probably identify with that. Yeah. And I just want to point out that if you wanted to hear Ali's like whole story, um, you can go back to episode 11 and um, hear kind of the, if you, if you want to get the long long story. Ali goes into depth there. And I think a lot of people connected with you when you um, put out that version too. Um, So if you want to go back and re-listen, that is available too. 
All the details. Yeah. yeah. I, I would also say, I think I, I definitely don't regret going beyond my classroom in mm-hmm. any way, shape or form. If I could do it again, um, I, I don't regret how I, you know, resigned or anything like that. Uh, even the word regret just feels like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't go well with me. Um, but if I could resign again, I now know better of how to do that in a better way. I, I feel really confident and great about what I said, how I said it, but now I know also how to approach a conversation like that with an administrator. And we have, you know, different episodes, our episode with Bonnie Moore and, mm-hmm. and the resources that we have in the, in the membership now of, of the resignation letter okay. templates and, and how to conduct the conversation, when to time that and all that. Yeah. And the mindset piece, the mindset work that goes into that before you even do that, just like having the confidence of talking to friends and family about making this decision, because a lot of people like to chime in on (laughs) your career decisions, even though that's like extremely personal. So definitely. And really not viewing it or perceiving it as quitting Mm -mm. as starting everything you're going forward toward. So it's healthy. It's great. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your work path. So when you went from the classroom to what was next, did you have a job lined up when you quit teaching? Great question. So when I submitted my letter of resignation, I was applying for a position with my, it was a cross between my school district and a local university. It was training and mentoring teachers. And so, you know, I put in my letter of resignation, like I'm so grateful for all the growth I've had in our district. I'm pursuing more growth opportunities. And one of those is this role with the district, but, and then I indicated if this isn't, you know, an opportunity that opens up for me, I'll be um, pursuing more other opportunities for growth beyond the district as well. And so, so I, I didn't have anything totally lined up, but I, well, at least at the point of submitting my letter of resignation, mm-hmm. that was early in the spring. And then later in the spring, I knew that that job opportunity wasn't going to be one for me. Um, there was a teacher with, I don't know, 20 something years of experience. And, and anyway, and, but I presented at an ed tech conference on some of the resources I was using as a teacher. And um, one of those ed tech companies was at the conference. Mm. So that was kind of a segue that led to the educational consulting opportunities and some of the ed tech training opportunities that I had. Yeah. Did you know something was happening when you were like making those connections? Could you feel it? Like Um, I felt excited, but I mean, presenting at ed tech conferences, I love presenting at ed tech, you know, in the education space, in the instructional design space, I've loved presenting at things. So, so was I super excited? Yes. Like already being in that setting. I I just love that kind of stuff. And, um, and then did I know something was happening? I mean, her name's Elizabeth. She's, she's that person for me, like one Mm -hmm. of those kind of golden keys of, she was the, the employee of that company that was there at the conference. And she was like, when I told her like, Oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to chat. You know, I'm, I'm, this is my concluding year of teaching. Yeah. And I'm considering looking into different opportunities. And she was like, wait, you're (laughs) available full time. 
you know, I could tell I was like, this is, this is good, but you know, it didn't just come about. People talk about like, Oh, just like, it just happened. It is Mm -hmm. a ton of initiative. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of planning. It's prep. It's, it's everything that you're doing and doing an intentional way. Really my last two years of teaching when I knew I needed to do something else and was kind of uncomfortable. I took very intentional steps of preparation. So anyway, yeah. Well, I think that's also just a good example of you being aware of what makes you come alive, what makes you, you know, really light up and putting yourself in those places. I think it's really easy to get recognized when you're passionate about something and people love hiring people that are passionate about not only those resources, but just that come to the table with that much passion. So um, when, when it's just kind of naturally flows out of you, I, I don't think that's uncommon, but it takes the initiative of putting yourself in places to do that. Totally. Yeah. Like applying to present at that conference, mm-hmm. having the initiative to like use the tech tools and use mm-hmm. them in different ways and yeah, put together a presentation and put together all of that. You and yeah. I love talking about strengths and strengths mm-hmm. the book that I'm always yep. like, that's- <laughs> Like yeah. as teachers follow their strengths, it's mm-hmm. one of your best guides. Yeah. Follow what gets you excited, what you're passionate mm-hmm. about and, you know, be innovative, have some, have some initiative in how you go about it and yeah. Connect with companies you love the most and opportunities. You want. Yeah. Let your strengths be a guide. Totally. Well, I know that you have like, I feel like the more I talk to you, and the more I'm like, oh, you did that too. You did that too. <laughs> like, and so if you had to like go through all the jobs that you've had since teaching, what has been your favorite? Oh boy. Okay. Let, let me just like really quickly, just bam, 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 kind of what happened in what order. Okay. And then, okay. Yeah. Which one's the favorite? Okay. So teaching. Totally loved it until I wasn't growing anymore and felt stuck. And really, I just wanted to help more teachers. And anyway, so um, yeah, from teaching to a tech trainer to educational consultant to teaching at a university level to um, instructional designer to learning strategist, project manager to freelancing. Um, or it being an independent contractor, having my own company of me doing this mm-hmm. myself. And, and that, like that one naturally came about when I moved mm-hmm. away from where I was doing that other, mm-hmm. yeah, those, those roles with different companies. And so I went independent and, um, yeah, I did instructional design, uh, learning design, uh, learning strategy, project management, things like that for education companies, corporate companies, uh, nonprofits, for-profits anyway. And then, um, that grew beyond what I personally could do. Mm-hmm. And so then I grew a team of other, of others who could do similar work as well. So it grew into an agency and, and a company from there. And then, um, all in the meantime, still doing some educational consulting and working with education companies in a variety of ways on the side. And then, yeah, starting teacher transition on the side as well. I was like, let's, let's do this. I've always wanted to help, you know, and it's fun to be, I guess, multifaceted. I remember when I was ready to transition from teaching, Mm -hmm. I listened to something by Brene Brown Mm 
Mm-hmm. And she was talking about a slash, like it's okay to be this slash that slash. Uh, yeah. And I remember not liking what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. I thought, no, like I want to be really good at whatever it is. And I want to have a really specific next thing and next job and be like a rock star at that. Yeah. And you know what? It's okay to be well-rounded. Educators yeah. are crazy well-rounded. I know. Right? So many untapped yeah. skills and opportunities. and Yeah. We wear a lot of hats. Totally. We're really good yeah. at a s- certain hats. Yeah. And so why not why not have a wardrobe of a few more hats? Kind of, you Seriously. know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or maybe it's just a few instead mm-hmm. of wearing so many. And anyway, but you know, what I've really seen is we're able to serve in the world in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So if, if anyone's feeling stuck to a school building or to the walls yeah. of the classroom, like, and if you're feeling, well, I want to serve the world, like you, you still serve the world. Mm-hmm. You're still helping. You're still on the good guys team. Yeah. It's, just, it's just new roles and new responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But you're contributing in the world of work beyond beyond a school building. You're still helping people. Absolutely. Just at a higher impact, honestly. Yeah, totally. Uh, I you- don't think you answered the question though. <laughs> what was your favorite? I'm not avoiding the question. Um, you know, really, like each of them ha- has been a favorite for different reasons and at different times. And and it's okay to have a bucket list. I loved teaching. Mm-hmm. Until I was ready for more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved, you know, with educational consulting and with ed tech training, really getting to help people like at the forefront of, of things and, and work with teachers, have a broader impact. Um, with instructional design, I have loved creating resources that are available on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching at the university level was like, absolute bucket list. I really enjoyed it. I'd always been curious about that. My dad did that. Mm-hmm. Funny because my mom taught elementary school, right? Mm-hmm. And then my dad taught at the university level and I did that, but I could tell really quickly, I'm going to feel like a broken record again. Mm-hmm. And I'm already innovating this. I'm already like streamlining this in a variety yeah. of ways that I was setting things up. And, and I could just tell like, this is going to be me wanting to automate this so mm-hmm. it can be available to anyone, anywhere, anytime as mm-hmm. learners yeah. and not just English speakers or people that could yes. afford going to the university or that got accepted to the, you know, I wanted to make it. I available. love that. And so instructional design, excuse me, instructional design really was the, the skill set that makes that possible. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I loved, you know, some of the instructional design opportunities that I've had of been phenomenal and learning strategy, creating resources that have gone global, been distributed in almost at least like 36 or 40 languages and on significant learning topics that are some of the closest things to my heart. So yeah. yeah. And cool education companies that work with matters of the heart, so to speak too, of mm-hmm. like helping people be better people and yeah. just things really the, mm-hmm. the things I'm most passionate about mm-hmm. the companies I wanted to work with the absolute most. And so yeah. it's been possible really. Yeah. I like what you reminded me or us like at some point of like, there are jobs and opportunities available that were not available when we graduated college. Now I'm a little bit older than some of our <laughs> our 
audience. And so it may be for them, but like, you know, for teachers who have been teaching for a decade, these things weren't an option and now they are. And so it's not bad to consider them and realize it just wasn't even possible. Um, and, And now we get to consider them. So. Absolutely. And in five years from now, there's going to be so many more things yeah. like just continue to grow and really teachers just want to help people. So follow yeah. the call, you know, you yeah. followed it to be in the classroom and follow it when you feel like you're called to go beyond and it's going to open up things so that you can help, help who you're needed to help next. So yeah. totally. Okay. So a lot of our audience is interested in um, becoming the idea of becoming an educational consultant. So how do you break into that? Excellent. So really there, there are at least five types of educational consulting roles. And you want to look at, well, when I think educational consultant, what am I actually envisioning in my mind? Mm -hmm. Is it training? Is it life? Okay. Is it online facilitating some meetings? Is it working for a company or a government organization? Is it going in and problem solving something for a week somewhere? Basically, I want you to look at what is it you're actually envisioning when you think educational consulting? And then we're going to take a strategic approach for that specifically. Or is it you have your own curriculum and and you're presenting at conferences on on your stuff? So different people think a lot of different things with that. The approach to take is going to be specific based on what they want to do. Um, but yeah, if it's working for a company, we're going to connect with the company. If it's developing your curriculum, we're going to start there anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyone who needs like one-on-one help with that, we would, we would tackle it. You know, they can hop on our live calls in the membership anytime. And we'd, we'd start with, with that. Okay. Awesome. When you, when you think about your experience as an educational consultant, what was like the most fulfilling part of that job? I'd say two parts. One, just being able to influence way beyond myself, you know, like working with hundreds or thousands of teachers and helping them work smarter, not just harder. Um, just feeling like you're really multiplying your influence significantly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just being able to have um, more impact and help at a, at a broader level level, but still being in the education space mm-hmm. and helping teachers significantly. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Love it. Okay. Um, kind of switching gears to a lot of people have, of course, uh, questions about uh, instructional design. So how did you know that you wanted to jump into that, of, you know, of all the possibilities after being a teacher? Great question. A lot of it was, again, that desire for, I wanted learners to be able to learn anything, anywhere, anyone, anywhere, and anytime, right? Not limited to, here's our, however many hours we're going to be in a classroom, and now it's over. And if you were absent, you can't get this, right? And just seeing the side of me that loved ed tech, and the side of me that loved pedagogy, mm-hmm. and just effective learning strategies, and then I had some friends who were in like a master's program mm-hmm. and I could just tell what they were interested in and passionate about really related with what I was interested in and passionate about. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Again, passion be your guide. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you, maybe like, how long did it take and how did you get your first instructional design job? 
Excellent question. I saw that Jacinda submitted this question to you, right? <laughs> like, how do you get your foot in the door? Yeah. So when I went for that instructional design interview, mm-hmm. being able to connect with them in person was, was really helpful. They said point blank, your resume is weak compared to a lot of resumes that we see. This was in front oh. of, a, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so first, let me, let me set the scene a little bit more. First yeah. I had an interview like with just one person mm-hmm. and then it went to, okay, now you're going to be in front of a board of people. Mm-hmm. And so like a panel and, and they, they asked some really intense and serious questions. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, mm-hmm. your resume is a lot weaker than, than many that we see. <laughs> Why should we, you know, and, but I've since learned a lot about yeah. effective resumes and I'm so glad that we have our templates, yeah, right? So that people yeah. can build on what we've learned over the years and, and, and all of that. And, um, you know, he said, your resume, your resume is weaker than a lot of those that we see, but having you here in person, this makes a lot more sense so mm. them personally, letting them kind of see my skills, but teachers can let others see their skills through, you know, like our portfolio templates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so much more. And that's one of the things that really set me up for success because I had trained teachers. I had made training resources and materials, and mm-hmm. I took them with me to that interview. Interesting. Yeah. So I had a facilitator guide, like mm-hmm. a training guide, and I had a participant guide. Okay. A learner guide. Mm-hmm think worksheet, right? Mm -hmm. Basically things that we also help people develop in the instructional design course and provide Mm -hmm. templates for. And so they could see, look, I've already made training resources and materials, but he also asked me, one of the guys on the panel is a little intense and fantastic. (laughs) Um, He said, you know, you have no experience as an instructional designer and our job application says, you have to have three years of experience in order to apply. Why should we hire you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I got really like heated, we'll say. And I don't get like, I don't get I mad very frequently. Yeah. I don't feel like whatever. Anyway, and I, I was a little intense. Yeah. And I am proud of it. Yeah. And I said, your resume or your job description, everyone else's says you have to have three years of experience in order to apply to this. So my question is, how does anyone enter this field? And I said, have I ever had the title of instructional designer? No, but have I done the work that an instructional designer does? Absolutely. Yes. And I've done it for years and I've done it incredibly well. And I, then I listed off like, mic drop. This is, yeah, I was like, <laughs> an instructional designer does like, I've done backwards planning. I've done, you know, and I listed yeah. off a ton of things with learning objectives and needs analysis and, and all of these things. I was like, and I've done all of those things and more in person and online, you know, just like listing a lot of this and, and I, and yeah, a little bit of a mic drop and, yeah. and they hired me, you know, yeah. and, um, as far as negotiating salary or things like that, like, you know, because of what I had made as, as a teacher, but also because of, of different opportunities that I sought out, like training and educational consulting. And, and I just think that's so interesting for like two reasons, because one, like you, even though it said three years, you were like, eh, I'm going to do it. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And not only that, they called you in. 
like <laughs> that didn't get sorted out. And so like, that's that thing that you, you talk about of like so many times in those job descriptions, people are looking for a unicorn. They don't exist. Yeah. Not only did they call me back in, but they, they wanted me. And not only that, they hired me. And then I was able to contribute really well. And, you know, and I could tell, like, I'm, I'm making contributions, not only to the work that I was doing, but improving the, uh, atmosphere Mm -hmm. of, of where I was working and yeah, different things like that. So yeah, it was great. I love it. I love it. Are there many growth opportunities as an instructional designer, like within that role? Yeah, absolutely. It, you can't really be an instructional designer without continuing to grow. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, where technology is always adjusting and changing and, and growing. Mm-hmm. There's so much growth that comes through it and conferences like I, yeah, I've loved presenting at educational, not just educational conferences as, as a teacher, but at instructional design conferences with ATD at different functions and things that they put on as well. You know, and some of the guest speakers that we have in our instructional design course, they present at the largest instructional design conferences out there. They're incredible contributors in the field. Yeah. I love that. I love that you wouldn't be able to, or you wouldn't have to stay stagnant there that you just know that you plant yourself there and then it's like, which direction do I even go? Yeah. Yeah. And and not only that, I frequently refer to instructional design as a gateway job for teachers. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a first role. It gets you in companies and you can stay there your entire career and have a fantastic career. Or it really is a gateway to a lot of different opportunities as well. A lot of instructional designers then become project managers like Ethan DeCuster that we had on the podcast forever ago. He's no longer an instructional designer at that university. He's now a project manager. He's influencing multiple projects and he's making more money as well and and just influencing people for good. So yeah, it really is a gateway to a lot of- So exciting. And and how do you know until you put yourself in that position and and see what's possible? So- Let me ask you this. Why do you frequently recommend ID to teachers as a next step job? Excellent question. Partially because it is that gateway, but Mm -hmm. not only that, because it builds on so many of the skills that teachers have and use and love. If you love planning learning experiences, if you love creating the learning resources, you know, teachers oftentimes think of the term curriculum design. Uh, and, and that is under the umbrella of instructional design, right? And so it's it's curriculum design and a whole lot more, but it's building on everything that you learned related to how people learn effectively and how to create resources, materials, or experiences for that. So it really is like at the heart of, of teacher skill. It's capitalizing on the expertise that you already have. It's so that you don't have to go and just find a different job that's totally random and not skills that you've been building for years. And because you can do it for a company as an employee, or you can do this as a freelancer if you want um, that kind of flexibility as well. Well, what are some of the favorite instructional design projects that you you worked on? Oh my goodness. Um, As far as like fun creativity, we've had everything from like, interactive on-screen comic books, right? Where people, right? And kind of a multiple choice thing at the end of a little bit of the comic strip that then would lead into 
the next parts of it. So we call yeah. it a branching scenario, but very mm-hmm. interactive, engaging, fun things like that. Um, different projects with different clients were like helping people learn about Jesus. Mm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and how to better understand ancient texts of, of the Bible and scripture mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and maybe most importantly, how to apply that mm-hmm. to their own lives yeah. and just be better people. Like, you yeah. know, so, yeah. you know, if it's a training for companies like HP and Deloitte that I've made, mm-hmm. or if it's something about like how to be a more compassionate or forgiving or understanding person. Yeah. Right. Like you can, if you can dream it, Mm -hmm. you can do it. Like there are so many opportunities with different clients and different topics with education companies or non-education companies. It's like, there's a world of opportunity out there. You just have to develop the skill. Yeah. And and you already have so much of the skill, but just being able to, yeah, make that segue, that transition. Totally. So you said that like when you moved, you needed, I'm assuming you needed more flexibility and income, like kind of on the spot there. And so you, that was your transition into freelancing. So how did you, how did you get started with that? Cause I know a lot of people are interested in that, but it's like, where do you even find clients or like, how do you do that? Great question. So because I had worked at a variety of companies, education and non-education companies, I already had connections pretty well established. Mm-hmm. And um, through those connections, opportunities came up and they knew like, Hey, this is what Ali's doing when we need things. And so, um, and, and some of them that, that didn't know that that's what I was doing, like some of the companies I was just staying in connection with, they had needs come up anyway, but because I'd taken certain steps out of personal mm-hmm. initiative, yeah. I'd develop the skill set that they needed for, for opportunities. So, but for those who have never connected with companies or who don't have connections, um, connecting intentionally through a variety of ways, you know, reaching out to people, showing them your portfolio. Um, yeah. Connecting intentionally. If it's, uh, yeah. In some of the resources that we recommend in, in our courses, or if it's connecting through our membership and, you know, people that are in our membership have mentioned some of the companies they want to work for. And I've, I've reached out to employees and former employees, coworkers and, and colleagues that work there and have worked there. Connect through people or mm-hmm. connect directly to people. Yeah. I think what, when you say that, I think that it's just a matter of letting people know, like, this is what you're doing. That was a huge piece of like me connecting with other people because it's not necessarily maybe your friends don't necessarily know but maybe their friends or they have connections and so if you don't tell people what you're doing nobody can refer to you either so yeah and you don't have to talk a lot about it like I think of Robin who's taken our instructional design course and now she's you know she's a mom she's a former Mm -hmm. teacher she's doing independent freelancing work now right absolutely so yeah. and she had our freelancing course as well, but, but your portfolio, just being like, here's what I do. And like, look, this is, these are some examples. And then people think like, oh my goodness, she could solve these problems for me. Totally. Like she take this load off of my shoulders and, mm-hmm. and then you're really, you're helping people. Totally. So then you grew that into like more of the agency style. So how did you do that? Why did you want to do that? Cause that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> right? It was, but it came about really naturally. Like I, 
I didn't seek it out. It just came about because clients mm. had more needs than what I could facilitate. And they said, well, can you just, you know, can you have other people do this through you? It would, it would help them and and they needed that. So it came about really naturally. So how do you get hired by an education company after being a teacher? Great question. You can connect with them really intentionally while you are a teacher, uh, but really education companies, they don't want to just hire someone because they want to work at an education company, right? They want to hire someone who can solve the problems that they have. So, and, and they want to hire someone in specific roles. So I want you to identify the roles that interest you most. That's going to be partially by identifying your strengths and interests, right? And then you're going to develop what you need to develop to show them that you have what's going to solve their problems. You're going to fill your skill gap. Okay. And you're going to demonstrate that, have examples of how, how you can do that and how you apply. We walk people through that in the course that we have on how to get hired by an education company, just that mini resource. And so, yeah, it's a great question, but education companies need you. They need help, especially right now with everything going on. And that has gone on. Like there's a lot of need. No kidding. No kidding. Okay. So what are the best parts about working with an ed tech company? Oh, so many different things. One, like they need you and they need your background. They need your experience. They need your expertise. They need your insights and your ideas of what teachers really need, what students really need, what parents really need, all of the above. The ability to stay inside of the education space is is really nice as well for some people, for those for those that want that, that's a lot of fun. And then just really being able to help so many students, so many teachers, so many parents through improving the resources and the delivery. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. Um, what are your favorite education companies to work with? This is, I think, something people are really interested in knowing. Oh, great question. Okay. So let's talk about the ed tech side and the not ed tech side. I've really loved working with ed tech companies because they're innovative. It's fun. Oftentimes the culture is like up and moving. Um, But I've also really loved working with education companies that are not necessarily in the tech space of it because of the content that they work with. Like if it's transformational as far as like we help people be better people. We help students um, become their best selves, their full selves. So yeah, kind of matters of the heart or curriculum that's on, yeah, very significant topics, things that I love a lot. Okay. So you, I know you got hired by a, a university. Did you enjoy that? And like, how did you, how did you get into that space? Yeah, I loved it again, because it was kind of one of my bucket list things that I'd always been really curious about. That is actually the first thing that I applied to. And I applied to it like a long, long, long time before I ever landed it. I almost felt a little bit like, who am I to apply to this? Right. So I submitted my application online. I emailed in a resume and I did nothing else, nothing else. And nothing ever came about because of it. And so it was a couple of years later when I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to put a little bit more intention behind this. And I connected personally and I had, you know, some personal phone calls and tried to meet with people in person too. And, and really what happened is the university had a need come up. They had actually kind of like a, we really need someone and we need them right away. They had a need come up 
and because I'd made that personal connection, yeah. um, the person that was in charge of hiring for that role then knew I was an option and it was of help to them that they didn't have to search around and go through all these processes with like, you know, with everything that goes into hiring, it's a lot of work to hire an interview. So yeah. it simplified their life yeah. for me who have reached out and connected personally. So yeah, for teachers hearing this, don't feel like you're doing someone a disservice. You might actually be helping them out a lot. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you got to think about it from the hiring side, which is not something I have done a lot of. So yep. that's interesting. Yeah. And then as far as the opportunity, like I had to put it together, you know, a semester of curriculum really quickly and assessments really quickly and resources and lectures and all the content really quickly. And because of everything I had done in the past, I was able to do that and it was so much fun and I loved it. And I loved the university students and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I could tell really quickly, like this is going to be me repeating myself again. So yeah, it was good to grow through and experience and help. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So let's kind of like switch over into like fast forward present day. You're helping teachers now and that's your primary focus. So like, how did you know that that was the next space to, to pivot into for you? Great question. So uh, I definitely started this on the side of the company that I run. And so, and and I, and I still have that company and and do, you know, work with education companies and for-profits and all that stuff as well. Um, But yeah, I started this on the side. It had always been something in my heart, you know, even while I was still in the classroom and trying to figure out that next step. I remember thinking like, if and when I figure this out, I'm coming back to help, right? Like this is, this doesn't have to be this hard for everyone. And it doesn't have to be so lonely for everyone. Yes. And so there's a more effective, there's a more efficient, there's a more enjoyable way to do all of this. And so it had always been a want and a desire. And so yeah, I just started it on the side and, and it really, I mean, really it started through friends, like friends reached out from the very get go, especially after I landed a, another job and, and another job, like, especially with some of the roles when people heard like, Oh my gosh, how did you get this job? This would be a dream. And it was a dream for me. Like I loved doing you know, like instructional design for some of the companies that I've been able to do it for. And so, yeah, friends reached out and then they had their friends reach out. And then it was like, okay, why don't I just make this, you know, help walk them through the steps in more of a on-demand way, instead of helping just one person at a time, why not, why not make the, systematize this or, or make it something that people can access on demand. And so that led to the find your next dream job course for teachers. And honestly, I had that created for like over a year. Oh my gosh. Before I ever opened it up to, I mean, it was well over a year and I feel kind of really bad about that now, but really I was like, well, I don't know if it's good enough or this video looks kind of scrappy or, or that PDF could look prettier. Or what if I didn't say Mm -hmm. that, you know, like we see so many things that look so freaking good because they've been created by companies that have a bajillion dollars, you know, like we see so many things that are perfected, um, that oftentimes we don't let ourselves do something if it's, if it's something that we've made or we can see the imperfections with it, but really I've I've learned you're not serving anyone. If you're holding back the service, even if it might be imperfect or at least to you, you imperfections with it. So yeah, 
then we, so even before the find your next dream job course launched, I launched the instructional design course and that was live with teachers who wanted to learn how to be an instructional designer. And then, um, then we recorded it and, and made it available on demand. And then it was, yeah, later that I, I was like, okay, we'll launch the find your next dream job course. And, and then the membership from that. And I love, you know, there's so many things that we could do to help people. There's so many things that we are trying. Like one of the biggest things about the teacher transition space is like, we, we just want to help people. And so how do we do that? A podcast, a YouTube channel, social media, courses, a membership, our, our community groups. Like <laughs> there's so many things that we could do and that we are, are doing. And, and really all of it goes back to what are our KPIs? Mm-hmm. And for those hearing that for the first time is a key performance indicator. And so like what lets us know if we're being successful with really effectively helping teachers mm-hmm. and you know, with the podcast, we can see number of downloads. Mm-hmm. We can see reviews that people leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that with the membership, we hear from people. We hear their personal needs in real time. We get mm-hmm. them connections and resources and coaching in real time. And so, yeah, we can see those key performance indicators, like our, our most important metrics, mm-hmm. our, our teachers, what they need and, and getting them the, the success and the next steps that they want. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of it, but that's kind of how it's grown and and yeah, where we focus our efforts is is meeting their needs. Um, would you what would you say then are the most your favorite parts of teacher transition and the the role that you have in that? Yeah, 100% it's it's the people, you know, it's it's hearing from from someone that recently graduated from a course yesterday about like, Hey, I'm loving my new job. Hmm. Loving it. You know, it's hearing from someone else about like, I'm loving this job. And now there's this new opportunity too. Should I take this one or, um, yeah. And it's, I'm not sure which one to take. How can I help? It's yeah. It's everyone. The the first people that come to mind are those that I've connected personally with this week, for example. And, and those that I focus on are, are those in our resources. So definitely the people hundred percent hands down hearing their lives changed, what it's done for their families um, or just for their personal well-being, their confidence, their level of hope um, encouragement and, and real opportunities opening up their future. Mm, I love that. Those, when those emails come through and you share those, I'm like, so exciting. Um, But it's not, it's not a hundred percent of those emails all the time. And, you know, what, what are the hard things, um, about, about what you do in your role? Oh, good question. I'd say the hardest thing is, you know, that side of us that just really wants to help. Um, there's a quote by a woman named Anne Morrow Lindbergh and kind of the generation before ours, sometimes her writings were part of like college curriculum and whatnot, but, um, she, and her husband's a famous pilot. If people are like, oh, I've heard the name Lindbergh b- before, but um, she has this great quote that says, my heart, no, it says, my hands cannot extend to all the people to whom my heart responds. And I just love that. Like, I love helping everyone that's that's in our resources and I want to help people as, as effectively as possible. Um, and really, it's been nice to know like, okay, the people that I focus on, those that I can help the best are, are those that are that are in our resources. And, and uh, yeah, so the hardest thing has been like figuring out how can I help the most people in uh, the m- most significant or beneficial way for them. Absolutely. Okay. 
So we have done 50 episodes here on the podcast. So what are some of the, the, from your perspective, you get to interview a lot of people, a lot of people you have been your friends and you've known their path, but like, what are some of your favorite episodes that you were excited to share? Oh my goodness. So many things. I feel like we kind of have different categories of episodes, right? Like, and the podcast started very much so with here are people who've been in my path, you know, here are teachers who reached out for help, like Ethan and Lara, um, or here are some of my coworkers, colleagues, former coworkers, like McKaylee and, and others. Um, and then I feel like we've got those that are those that were in our summit, for example. And then we've got those who've graduated from our courses and they're enjoying new opportunities like Jennifer, Chris, Sharon. And I love that we had so many great, amazing guests in our summit. Uh, Reba with Educational Consulting, Jeff Patterson with EdTech Companies, Bonnie Moore, Erica Terry, uh, Brittany, just so many and teachers have done a variety of roles, instructional design. I loved having Lisa on the podcast from a, uh, the association for talent development. Like we've, we've had some heavy hard hitters, amazing, amazing things. Having Carrie on the podcast is uh, so good. And then also teachers who've been former teachers who've been kind of part of colleagues and friends with all of this, like Brittany and, and Suzanne. And I know there, there are so many that I'm not listing at the moment, but really just amazing guests coming and being on the podcast that have had an influence like Felicia and just so many. I mean, what a year, what an awesome, awesome year. And one episode that we haven't had because the audio didn't work was a former teacher of mine and and coach of mine, like a sports coach. And, and she talks about continuing to stay in teaching when it wasn't necessarily something that has, has been a great path for her. And so I like that. I wish that the tech would have worked out for that. I didn't even know about this. You didn't tell me. (laughs) That was actually one of our first things in recordings, but yeah, so much learning with the tech side of starting a podcast at the beginning too. But, but to hear a teacher share, this is what it's like for a full career path of this. When you kind of wonder what if, I would have let myself try something else when I first felt that, or when I second felt that, or when I third felt that. And so, you know, it's a different perspective and it's an important voice, voice to hear, but that one didn't work out tech wise, but so many amazing guests that have shared their time and their expertise and paths. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's kind of like that idea of like, imagine yourself one year from now, and what will you be thinking, feeling, you know, what will you have wished you have done? Um, that's an important question to ask. Okay. So season one of the podcast is wrapping up. And so what can we expect from teacher transition right now? Oh, such a great question. We have <laughs> so many irons in the fire, things that we are working on um, as far as resources, as far as I asked so much um, as far as personalized help and support for people in the membership, as far as resources and things like in our instructional design course and our other courses and so much going on right now. So yeah, we're taking a, a time out. We are focusing some of our efforts on, on those resources as well. Really our main and biggest goal is, and always will be getting teachers the support they need 
to smoothly, confidently, comfortably, and successfully make that transition to whatever they want next. And so again, we, we yeah, look at our KPIs, our key performance indicators, and, and so much of, of those indicators we hear from teachers that are like, awesome, this is working, and here are the next steps I'm taking, or here's the help that I need, and just getting them that help in the membership. So as far as what to expect, just, yeah, continue to expect seeing us like show up and, and help in, in our resources uh, that, yeah, all of it at, at teachertransition.com and, and everything that they're finding in their, in their courses and their, in the live support and everything that we've got from there. Definitely super excited. I am so excited about everything that we're working on and, and getting out for teachers in those on demand and live support resources. I love so, it. I love it. Okay. So last thing, Ali, a lot of our episodes, you ask people for those like two tips, what could they be doing like right now that they can take action on either mindset or like actually doing something? What can we leave people with? No pressure, you know, for season season one. (laughs) Okay. Two tips for season one. First and foremost, especially where in this episode, we've talked about you know, my path and like, did I regret doing this or timing or whatnot? Biggest tip would be follow that feeling. If you've been feeling a nudge, a prompting, a call, whatever it is to go beyond your classroom or to at least start paving a runway, like for you to have a roadmap or something to go forward with, you're given those feelings for a reason and they're important to follow be prompt with those promptings, you know, follow that call and you don't have to feel like, okay, I'm going like cold Turkey from teacher to, I don't know what next. Right. But, but pave that path. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be my first tip is, is follow that feeling you're given it for a purpose. And then the second tip would be that it is always a good time to prepare for your future you know, what is next for you? And if that's an unknown, then taking the steps to clarify that picture, to identify things that you need to prepare. Um, It's always a good time to prepare. And so if someone feels like, well, I'm going to wait until this, that, or the other, don't wait to prepare. It's, It's being personally responsible. It's being it's looking for your, after your well-being and, and what's right for you. So yeah, those would be my, my two tips of follow the feeling. And, and it's always right now, it's always a good time to prepare. There, there's the quote about like, when is the best time to plant a tree? It was 20 years ago. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's funny because I remember as a teacher in the summer, I would, you know, you wait and wait and wait for that last day. You look forward to sleeping in and vegging and vacations. And there's, there's part of that, but I just remember just having this energy of like, I have this extra downtime and space right now. I feel like I could consider something else. And I feel like probably a lot of teachers are, are wanting to, to use that space to figure out what's next. And so that's a, you know, as we take a pause, you know, this is a good time to dive into a lot of those resources too. So. Yeah, it's so great. And really, I think sometimes for teachers mindset wise, we almost need a shift of, 
okay, I'm just going to gift this to myself. Like I'm going to give myself the gift of not needing to look back and wonder or regret or be like, well, what if I would have just explored my options? You know, some people feel guilt about, about looking into things, considering things. This is not a disloyalty kind of a thing. This is a personal responsibility. It's, it's your future. Create with it what you want. What do you want to be able to say in five years from now about how you're using this time? Like what, what do you want to be able to tell your kids? I used to tell myself that a lot. Like when, when I give my kids advice in the future, right. And, and when I quit teaching, I was, I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. Right. It's like, what do I want to be able to tell or give my kids as far as advice? It's like, I want to be able to say, I gave it my best. I explored my options. I want you to do the same, right. Of make of your future, the very best that you can. And so live in a way now, so that you're going to be proud of and happy about it in the future. Let yourself at least see, see what your options are. And then you can make the decision when all else fails, open the doors. You get to choose whether or not you walk through them. Yeah. And I love that too, because I think I'm learning as a parent too, that it's like really important for our kids to see us like fail and, or like, struggle and work through things. And like, I thought this was going to happen. And I really was hoping for this and to, and to talk with our kids about that, because it's not like our kids are not going to experience so many of those opportunities, but then to be able to say, mom did it or dad did it. I got this new job and I'm going to be able to make it to all your baseball games or like pick you up from school or whatever it is, you know, like just that flexibility that you need or that you get to like work on as a family. So yeah, totally. Let your kids see you be courageous. Mm-hmm. Let your kids or your friends or anyone, let them see what it looks like to not know the end of the mm-hmm. picture, but to still yeah. take steps. It's, it's super courageous. It's gutsy as I'll get out. It's something mm-hmm. to be really proud of. It's showing up in that vulnerable space that we hear Brene Brown and others talk about so totally. much. It's owning it. It's like Teddy Roosevelt talks about, about like the man that's in the arena is like the person to, to really be proud of and the person to really be cheering for. And that's you as yes. you go for it. So be proud of yourself, be cheering for you. Don't do it alone. Yes. Don't try to do this alone. Why would you do this alone? Like yes. you're going to be miserable. There's going to be so many unknowns. You're going to spend so much more time, months, if not years trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and, the number of opportunities, the level of opportunities sometimes aren't going to be the same as, as totally. how to help and support insight direction. So I love it. Uh, thanks so much, Deanna. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for pleasure. a huge, huge part of this. Yay for season one and, you know, yay for, for the, the pause that we're taking to, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so excited about the resources and the help and the personal support that we're going to be getting teachers and focusing on. So Me too. thanks for being a huge part of it. You're awesome. You too. (laughs) This episode may have ended, but connecting doesn't have to. Join us on Facebook or Instagram and get the support and inspiration you need in your personal educator path. If you're loving the podcast, help us spread the word. Leave a review or screenshot the episode, share it on social media, and be sure to tag us at Teacher Transition. Who knows? We may even feature what you share on our social media feed too. Until next time, teacher friends, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. Good luck with the great things you're up to right now and keep looking forward to the amazing things to come.